Good morning and welcome to Fresh Out Recovery. Morning, morning. Good morning, Richard. And we are remote today. We've been like, to remote working. Do you know what? It's the way forward, isn't it, for a lot of jobs and a lot of people. And it's, uh, I should imagine it's it's quite useful and helpful. Oh, God, it's a time saver. It feels to me that we're in a, the middle of an apocalypse. Because <laughs> I watched this, the, the Last of Us, and it's really good. You should watch it. But it's like they just want us all to be alone work from home and just sit with ourselves all day long and just talk on computers and internet and stuff like that. It's crazy. I can live with the working from home thing if I still do other stuff. Because working from home does actually save an awful lot of time, especially if you're a bus traveller. It saves you hours. But the idea that I would just work from home and then stay at home all the time, I can't get my head around that at all. Do you not think that mental health has increased because people are now working from home, so there's less interaction with other people. Well, the thing is, it's keeping you stuck in your house. And for some people, that's not healthy. For other people, it's a way to access work that they might not be able to otherwise. That, I think, is a positive. It's a major positive. But the idea that we can just stay at home and not need to go out at all and get everything delivered by mail order, and the only people that need to be out on the streets are the Amazon drivers, I find that uncomfortable because people will start cutting corners and you'll find them doing everything in their pyjamas and just putting a top on just for the sake of being seen in the meeting. And the routine can go out of the way if you're not in a formal work environment and you end up slobbing about a lot more. There's also the fact in the context of what we do here, Mm -hmm. I have to say that if I was still on the piss, I was remote working, I would probably be pissed doing it. But this is the problem, isn't it? Because a lot of people, like you say, you know, you're at home, you know, you're not likely to get caught because, you you know, you're not in front of someone, you can smell it on your breath. And, you know, you're probably not even seen by them if you're not having to use a cam if you're on the phone or just typing up stuff on the computer. So I suppose, yeah, you're right. For me, that would have been a godsend. Well, yeah, because it means I can look like I'm at work and still earn and I'm not actually doing anything at all. There's also the fact that you can, I mean, I don't, but you could cheat remotely and start having meetings with yourself to make yourself look busy and making sure that you're logged on and stuff like that. I mean, it's, I think it's open to abuse, remote working. I think there'll be more and more of it. But it's a question of how we approach it, because if I'm approaching it in terms of my well-being, Mm-hmm. I have to impose a working routine on my house. And the reason why I'm not 100% comfortable with that mm-hmm. is that unless I were living in a house whereby I had a separate room that I could call the work room, it would mean that work would be happening in my home environment. And that isn't necessarily a positive for me. If my living room involves me working in it, then it's invaded my living room. My home isn't just my home. Whereas yeah. if I've got somewhere else to go when I'm going to an office, it means that's where work is. And then when I leave, I leave it at the door and I go home and I do my stuff. And when I come home at night, I'm back at where I live. Whereas if my work environment and my living environment are inextricably intertwined, then how do I detach myself from work? I don't think you'd last very long, would you? If you was an active user or, you know, oh, an God, no. drinker, you wouldn't be able to pull that stunt off for too long. I did some working from home 
when I was in the midst of the madness, it didn't last long at all. In fact, I had to give what I'd set up away to somebody else to let them carry on with it because it, to me, it was just, it just wasn't working. In fact, it was making me more ill. You know, my drinking actually increased because I had to be up at a certain time. So I wasn't able to just sleep it off. So I was up early and then my whole day would need to be fueled by my vodka drinking at the time and just to try and feel normal when I'm talking to customers on the phone and stuff. And it was just a nightmare. And then that's unfortunate. That's when the I had an addiction to painkillers as well at the same time and I got myself into a right mess. The thing is for me with the work and home is that for a considerable period of time, my work got in the way of me doing anything else. And because of that, I managed for some considerable period of time, whereas if I'd not been seen by people, then I'd have been able to go on forever. Hello. Hi, yeah, my name's Becky. We are currently talking about remote working, remote everything, the pros and cons of doing everything at home, work included. Talking about the dangers of if you're actively drinking and or using, that you could kind of work while you're doing that if you're doing it on computer. Yeah, when I did it, it just got awful. It really did. I was into sales and stuff before I crashed and burned. And sales you can do over the phone. Trouble is, I wasn't even capable of picking up the phone a lot of the time. I'd go and meet my friend who we had. We'd both set up this little business thing. And I was sleeping on the sofa downstairs. That was it. I'd be going in in the morning and I'd be that shattered from the night before. I'd end up falling asleep and it was just a nightmare. So it didn't last long at all. And I had to give it up. But for me, remote working, home working and stuff, it doesn't really inspire me. I just don't like it. I like to be around people and see people and talk to people. And being in the house on my own, it reminds me of my using days and my drinking days. Very lonely. If I'm on my own, working from home, the only difference is there's not a bottle of vodka next to me, which is a big difference, but it's having that same kind of feeling of loneliness. And still I, doing the same thing now? Working from home now? No, I'm still in an organisation. That changes UK in a dry house. I'm not working. I do some volunteering. I just would not go back into sales or working from home now, so no. Yeah, of course. Definitely not. Sales is not for me anymore. It's too wild. It's just madness. <laughs> I'm not putting sales down for me. I did 20 years of sales and it was like, you know what, it burnt me out. In that environment, when they told me I've got to change everything, no, you've got to change one thing and what's that, then that's everything. It was, I thought, you know what, that, that's all right. I don't mind doing that because I don't want to do anything I was doing before because unfortunately the job I was doing before was very much accepted to go out on a work stew and take copious amounts of cocaine and get absolutely slaughtered and they didn't mind if you come the next day still hanging as long as you sold the products sold the cars and that was the lifestyle was in so i just can't go back to that lifestyle that i might do so well and i'll be thinking yeah i'm doing all right actually go on then i'll have a line or i'll have a little top before you know bang smack i'm exactly where i was two and a half years ago, which was being scraped off a hospital bed and wheeled into a treatment centre. I'm more than happy where I'm at, and I'm deciding to give recovery a go is the best thing I've ever done. You know, there's a lot of days where I wake up and I actually feel like being an addict, stroke, alcoholic, 
is also the best thing that ever happened to me because I'm learning a, a new way of life, an interesting way of life. What got me was boredom. Life bores me, you see. I find it very boring, the whole routine of life. I just find it very mundane and I like to have something different and I get a sense of belonging, a sense of purpose in recovery for whatever reason, you know, helping others and there's things that I can work towards and I can see written down, you know, what's good for me and what's not good for me. Well, I've worked a 12-step program and I think it's amazing for me. It's done me well to good. The structure of recovery really helps, isn't it? And a lot of that is about connecting, isn't it? If I'm sat at home and I'm working at home or I'm doing everything at home, then I'm not really engaged with other people. And that structure of recovery, I think, extends to what I do at home and what I do outside home. Definitely. It is connection is the key, isn't it? And when I came into recovery, I, I heard this word and it was called procrastination. I thought, what the fuck does that, excuse my language, what does that mean? I come to realise it's laziness or, and I've realised that the reason why that is in recovery is because sometimes it's hard to motivate yourself. You know, call that procrastination if I'm sitting on the sofa. Basically, it means faffing, Ronnie. Faffing. How can you call sitting on the sofa faffing? Faffing to me is a, like an active word, isn't it? You faff around and you... If you're procrastinating, you're actively doing bugger all. It's not just sitting there like a turnip. You're actively avoiding what you need to be doing. Yeah, like you're going to go and do something, but you keep saying to yourself you're going to do it, but you don't. Oh, yeah, I've got to go and do this first. And then when I've done that, then yeah. I'll go and do it. And then, no, I've got to do this. Oh, it's all right. I'll do it tomorrow. <laughs> tomorrow. Oh, yeah. no, I don't need to do it till next week. It's all right. I can leave that. I'll put it in my diary. And then you see it pop up yeah. in the diary. And go, no, no, I think I'll do it the week after. Oh, yeah, I'll just better postpone it. I'll change that meeting. Oh, I don't really want to do it anyway. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, I haven't got time to do it. So, oops, you know. <laughs> I have got time to watch the whole series of The Last of Us, which was brilliant, all in one sitting. I've got time to browse on the shopping places and see what I can buy because I need to fix my feelings. And I've definitely got time to eat. I want chocolate. Why shouldn't I have chocolate? You know what? I've been using this as an excuse. Ah, what's wrong with you? Two years ago, you was flat out. Gab your chocolate. And it's right in a way, isn't it? You're doing so well now. You're not an alcoholic. You're not a coke crackhead or whatever. For me, it was everything. So I'm not an everything. (laughs) It's all right now. You can do what you want. Do you think that the being at home more and with the working at home and everything actually enables more procrastination? Unless I'm a different breed from everyone else. I know we are slightly from the normies of the world, but... Given the opportunity to take a little bit longer about something in the workplace, that's why I need to be in the workplace, to be honest with you, because I need people watching me, because otherwise I probably would procrastinate, you know, when I do go back to work or whatever I decide to do. But it's like, if I'm working, I want to be in the work environment. It's like if I'm reading a book, it's not the case of a book, but you know, you read a book in the library, you dance on the dance floor, you work in the office, that type of thing. Mm-hmm. You're in that mindset then, aren't you? And as soon as you walk through that door, everything about that place is like work, wherever that may be. At home, oh, I've got a TV over there, a big TV with a nice PlayStation underneath it. And, ah, OK, well, let's have a quick go of that. And let's go and have a mooch in the fridge and I can wander around to the shops around the corner. Yeah, there's a lot of distraction at home, isn't there? Yeah, what? I procrastinate a lot. It's always like, oh, I'll go to the gym or I'll pick up my guitar. 
I'll watch this or I'll listen to this or sitting on my phone and not doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Being in different environments, like when you're at home, your mind tells you you're relaxed, but then when you're in an office, it's like your mind switches to work mode or... Do you know, does that make sense? Yeah. It's about the environment itself and the way I behave within it. Because when I'm at yeah. home, it's my space. I want to do my things at home. I don't want to bring work home with me. Mm. And if I go into the office, I can behave in a certain way, which will stop me from procrastinating, which will stop me from wasting time. I'll just get on with it. Whereas if I'm at home looking at a computer thinking, oh, well, I've got to do that today, I might well immediately start thinking, oh, well, it's only going to take me so long. I'll do it after lunch. I could do all of this in an hour right at the end of the day. Yeah. It invades my home space to put the work in it. It's meaning you're putting two environments into one. And then at the end of that, if you try and do something like meditating at the end of the day, you're doing it in the same room that you were working six hours earlier, which I don't think is a good thing. Relating this talk is relating this to the recovery and stuff. It's like, it's what you call it, a mind build really, isn't it? You've constantly got the opportunity to pick up for one. And also it could affect your mental health in the sense that if you're feeling low because you've got no human interaction and stuff like that, no banter, no giggles every now and again, you know, and your mental health starts to play up. And normies, you know, non-addicts and alcoholics who have suddenly been made to work from home can suddenly get into a pattern of drinking more and stuff. And I know for me, being an addict, that if I would step into a normal job, it could not work for me doing that job from home I don't believe anyway because it just it would affect my mental health because I'm not around people you know I love going to meetings I love being around people and I think that's the key like what Richard you said earlier about connection you know that's, that's what it is isn't it being connected with other people not isolating yourself so you're on your own because when you're on your own to me it's just lonely and lonely creates depression and depression creates need to something to get rid of the depression and, and my go-to back in the day was alcohol or drugs it doesn't sound very appealing to me the one thing ronnie going to the connecting thing i started using zoom meetings during lockdown and i carried on with them but reflecting on that the reason why they worked carrying on with them is because i had other stuff that was connecting with people anyway yeah and because I was busy, and because I've always got something going on at the theatre, it means I'm already interacting with other human beings. Then it doesn't matter how I do it and what I do where. It's, it's when everything becomes defined by you work from home, you live at home. Yeah. Or all you ever do is go to work. You know, that's when we get into tricky ground, I think. Oh, definitely. I mean, it's, I can Zoom for meetings. It's fantastic and I think it's brilliant. But I say, but for me, you know, I say to you every week, and I just say, oh, I don't know what I've been doing this week, but I know I've been busy. And the thing yeah. is, I have to look at busy doesn't necessarily mean interacting with people. Busy could mean I could still be spending time to myself. So, unlike you, Richard, you've got, you know, your theatre and stuff like that. But if I look at where my connections are, where, where do I connect? And there's not fat lot of places i do night work in the recovery center which is basically i'm, I'm 
pretty much sleeping for most of the shift. It's the people at that time of night when I go in, they're not active, they're not talking, they're sitting in front, they're watching the TV with the with the lights off. So I'm not interacting with them. So I've got to be mindful of, although I might be busy, I might be just busy on my own. So for me, I like to do the physical meetings, but if I had a busy schedule like yourself, I think a Zoom meetings would be an absolute godsend. I think it's brilliant that they do do it on Zoom because we're all different in what we're doing each day and it fits, doesn't it? I mean, obviously it helps you. Some people can't get out and stuff, can't, can they? So, I mean, it benefits sure. people with health problems and things like that. If they can't, that's a bit of connection for them. If they're stuck in the house constantly, I'm very lucky, I'm quite active and mm. I get out. I've got a lot out of connection, but for people who can't get out, I know they get a lot out of it. Definitely. Like I say, it's with the book, in the blue book or whichever book you read, it says in there, it says basically, you know, the way we can access recovery changes. When they first come out, they sent the book out in AA. They used to post the book to people because that's the only way they could, people could get recovery. And they put stories in the back so they could read the stories and connect with the stories. And a lot of it was done by letter at the beginning with AA. Yeah. Someone who was a thousand miles away got a letter with someone's experience. <laughs> and then they wrote back. And then what they did was they came up with this. A little blue book. Which I keep next to my bed. But actually, this was for World War Two, And this was for the American soldiers going abroad because of the war to fit in their pockets. And that's also how AA came to England. And a lot of it was based on not necessarily meetings, but just corresponding with others. If you think, waiting three weeks for a letter. A meeting in itself, yeah, could take like up to a couple of weeks, couldn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Whereas we've now by <laughs> <My> telegram. <laughs> yeah. Dot dot dot. I remember when I came into recovery, my first NA CA well, yeah, NA at the time was on Zoom. I didn't like it on Zoom. I couldn't connect to the people properly. I got distracted, didn't reach my heart like it did when I um, went to the actual meeting. I mean Hats off to everyone who got clean during COVID. I still feel like we need to be face to face. I think you're right, because one of the reasons why the Zoom thing worked for me is because I was well in when COVID happened. I was coming up for three years, I think. And if you've gone through that initial bit, then the Zoom thing becomes a maintenance meeting. But the kind of connection you need in the first 12 to 18 months I think you're right. I don't think you can do it on a computer screen. No. I think you've got to physically get your ass in the seat, haven't you? Yeah, totally agree. I mean, I find it really hard to share meetings. So sometimes it is a lot easier on Zoom. Yeah, it's just so much easier to open your trap on the looking at a computer, isn't it? And just like, ooh, yeah. <laughs> spinning around. It's yeah, it's weird though, like, because you're staring at yourself unless obviously you change the picture to you're just staring at the one person like but I don't know yeah I just we need connection I think as human beings we need to be around and thrive off people we can't sit alone it's damaging yeah definitely, mm. definitely. yeah I don't think I've ever done a zoom meeting have you not no 
<laughs> no, I haven't. I've never done one. To me, it would be going backwards because I've got the connection through the rooms. Mm. But I mean, like you say, as a maintenance thing, if you get busy, obviously lives become different. It's a bit more organic, isn't it? Like, so there's people that I've met through CA who come from different areas. Mm. They put on Zoom meetings, and because I already know them, to yeah. me that's okay. Like, do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like me because I'm already connected to them. It's just sort of reconnecting, I guess. That's it, isn't it? I suppose having that initial face-to-face connection is enough then to be able to have the Zoom meeting. You read people, don't when you're in front of them, you can, it's not just what you're listening to, it's everything about them, the way they come across, the way they approach, watch. But whether we know it or not, subconsciously, we are looking at loads of different things. When we see someone for the first time, I suppose I can only speak for myself, but subconsciously there's an awful lot going through my head and it's almost like a like a laser, you know, like the scanning machine about this person and it's all that information has been stored in my head. So then when it comes to a Zoom meeting and I'm just hearing the voice, actually, you know, I've got a good profile of that person in my head, of the way they are and their mannerisms and whether they're shy or not shy or talkative or loud or brash or annoying or whatever. I think that's just what we do, is like you say, it's a human thing, isn't it? So I think there's a lot to be said for the physical side of connecting to a meeting. Mm. Of the actual getting there and the actual walking through the door and the actual sitting down with other people, which you just can't get on a screen. Because the fact is on the screen, I'm still sat in my house. I've not left my house. Mm-hmm. But Certainly in that initial stage, the first six, nine, 12 months in recovery, I need to go out and say, right, I'm going out, I'm getting on a bus. I'm going to get there in time so I get there early. I'm going to make sure that I talk to people before I go in. It becomes an unavoidable physical connection to a meeting. You actually start the momentum going, don't you? You know, once you've committed to be at a certain place at a certain time, then all of a sudden the rest of your day or up until that meeting finishes is pretty much planned for you isn't it i've got to do this i've got to do that i've got to have a shower i've got to make sure i'm up at this time i've got to make sure i'm on the bus at that time i've got to make sure that i'm leaving my house at this time and and getting there and you know in between and all that you're going to have some interaction with some people somewhere along the line whether it's screaming at them or screaming at the bus driver or, or whatever when you come out of the meeting or whatever it is you've gone to do that day you know you feel like you've actually lived you know, I had this thing yesterday. I remember opening the curtains, went to the gym and I got back and then closing the curtains and it was the most awful feeling. I hadn't gone out anywhere. So it mustn't have been yesterday because I went to the gym yesterday. It must have been Sunday. I can't remember anyway. Either way, but it, that was the most awful feeling ever. Not going out the house, opening them, letting the light in. When they're getting dark, then closing them and not done anything or gone anywhere that, that particular day. I just had this horrible feeling come over when I did that. I just got to go out more. So... How long are these buses on strike for? That's a moot point. As far as I know, it's again today and it's indefinite. Well, it's making a point and and while the practicalities are awkward, worst things happen at sea. And because I get quite amused at myself and moaning about buses, it will probably be another two, three days, won't it? No matter what happens. I just can't remember the last time the buses went on strike. They haven't been on strike, the buses. Whereas the trains have. Trains were always on strike, aren't they? Yeah, but that's the same thing. I think we have to respect the fact that they're striking for a reason. I do, really. I know this. Because I do. What I don't do, and of course I've got to be mindful of my perspective here, 
on this, we talk a lot about perspective and how it gets messed up. My natural default when something like this happens is to focus on the negative. But I've taken away that default now. It's gone now. So I'm not focusing on that. This is so fucking inconvenient for me. How dare they strike this week? I rely on the buses. I'm going to be at the gym late now. So I'm thinking to myself, shit, I can't go now because the bus might not turn up. <laughs> it is very destructive to people's lives, though, isn't it? point of striking is to say look this is how inconvenient it is and if you don't stop taking the piss out of us this is going to happen again for me and about my sanity with anything like this it's in part about acceptance me ranting about it isn't going to help it and it isn't going to change whether they go on strike or not no amount of twitter hammering is going to change that and i have to be really careful not to engage on something like twitter over this stuff because before i know i'm in a stand-up row with some Idiot, I don't know about something that neither of us know enough about. <laughs> well, I think the bus stuff is difficult and it's it's very difficult for people who are going to work, going to school, going wherever they're going. But they're striking for a reason and we can't actually change what they're doing. It's very tricky because in terms of that recovery routine, I want to know that certain things are there. I want to know that I'm able to do certain things because there's certain things I do in order to stay sane, in order to stay with it. And I suppose that's why lockdown was so difficult in the first place. The first thing I did in lockdown was I created a rock solid routine for every day and followed it with a letter. But I think something like this, that we don't know how long the bus strike's going to go on, it would be very easy to just think, oh, I'll just slob about at home for a week. And there will be people that relapse over that. Lockdown for me was very different to a lot of people because I was moving all over the country. I was on trains. I was I was literally everywhere. I was in grotty little flats smoking crack. Crack was always about. There was probably more crack about in lockdown than there was before lockdown. It made it more available. Yeah. The, the demand was higher and the supply yeah. was higher. I was in active addiction during COVID, so it didn't really affect me. I was, yeah. I was just stuck at home anyway. I was pretty selfish. I still lived my life like there was no bloody lockdown. So. Yeah, I wouldn't have noticed if I'd been drinking during lockdown. But I wouldn't have noticed that any of that was happening. So because the buses are on strike, does that mean if I go to the bus stop tonight, not one's not going to turn up or one might turn up? <laughs> the only bus routes that are running are the ones that go to the hospitals. So in ACOTS Green, the number There's four no- is running. Yeah, it is. How frequently, I don't know, but it's on the list of the handful of buses that are running. But most of the buses that are running are only running to go to hospitals. And the one thing you can do from Ecos Green is you can get to Solihull or to Birmingham. It's only National Express that are striking, isn't it? Yeah, but they operate 90-something percent of buses. That's a, that highlights the monopoly that National Express have over the bus. Well, they've got that. And the thing is, they're also making money out of it, aren't they? I suppose that's what the the timing of this strike, I think, has probably been deliberately put in place because it's just after they've announced their profit. The company announces record profits and then the drivers go on strike. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's a good fact, yeah. <laughs> I've made sure I've got lifts to get to the theatre and back because I'm in the middle of directing a play. And then I've got to be really, really strict with myself about working at home. I'm glad that I've got a laptop that functions for work because it means I don't turn my home laptop on between certain times of the day if I'm working at home. 
she highlighted something then having a, a working laptop. So people who haven't got access to, say, the internet or a working laptop or a smartphone, they're yeah. kind of like a bit screwed, screwed aren't they? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, well, that's with everything now, though, isn't it? You know, you've got to have the internet to do anything, access the world. You can't do anything without it anymore. Yeah, I think I'm quite lucky to have the internet and have access to stuff like that. Yeah, internet access. Well, I mean, where would you be without that? I'm just farming, isn't it? Farming, do you think? 30 years ago, there was no internet. It was an idea. And yet now (laughs) we live by it. Nothing would work, would it? Just looking around my room. Yes, Ronnie, with your Echo Dots. My Echo Dots. My TV. You know, I tell that thing to turn on by voice and it turns on. Without internet, it wouldn't do that. I'd have to get up. (laughs) You know, fire stick. Streaming. WhatsApp. Oh yeah, WhatsApp. <laughs> well, there'd be no point in having a phone, would there, if there was no internet? <laughs> well, I was going to say, except to make calls, but that's what there was. Yeah, we used to have landlines for that, didn't we? Yeah, yeah. I remember having two landlines in the late 90s, early noughties. Mm. I had two landlines, one for the computer and one for the phone. You couldn't use the internet at the same time as being on the phone unless you had two landlines. Oh, right. Actually, broadband turned up. I remember that. You used to have to plug this wire into it or something. My parents' computer, yeah. I remember it. I had two, Ronnie, because I lived in three-bed terrace. I had a top converted attic. Mm. So I had all my computer stuff and everything up there with a separate landline number. Cost a bloody fortune having two landlines. You used to be dial-up, didn't it? Made that bloody awful noise. Dial up, go and cook, go and have your dinner, then come back up and it still hadn't finished. So you use the phone. You used to have to say you can't use the phone because it's I'm using the internet. <laughs> yeah. It'd just go. Well, my screen used to turn blue. And that was every time somebody stepped on a certain floorboard in the house upstairs. So I think the wiring was obviously dodgy. I can't remember any of this. All I remember is having a home phone and then I think I was about 12 when I got my first mobile. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I got a mobile. It was a work mobile. It was the first one I had in 1997. And we still had bricks back then. And then it had those little flip tops. And then it was all Nokia's. And from just having a work mobile in 97, by 2001, you couldn't live without a mobile. Mm-hmm. Hell of a thing to get my head around, because when I was a kid, we... Well, the computers we had back then, show that to a kid these days, and they just look at it and say, that's not a computer. <laughs> BBCB. So do we have any dilemmas? I will find one. Wait a minute. This involves me having to interact with a machine. That's not what I want at all. Oh, hang on. I might be in the right place now. <laughs> right, okay. Here we go. Right. There is a death in your close family, most of whom you've not spoken to in years. Do you A, go to the funeral and insist on delivering a pitiful eulogy just to make sure it's all about you? B, ignore them all and don't go. C, make some attempt to build bridges and tell them you'd like to come. D, turn up pissed and cause a scene outside. E, go but take someone for moral support and an exit strategy. Well, again, it comes down to what part of my drinking and drug-taking career I'm in, isn't it? You'd think the right thing to do would be 
to try and make amends and go and probably the right thing to do would be to speak to one of them first i suppose and like you say ronnie it does depend on where you are in your recovery because one of the things that i was doing when i was towards the end of my drinking but i hadn't stopped and i hadn't got into recovery was there were things i didn't go to so that i didn't make an exhibition of myself and there were things i chose not to go to family occasions because i didn't want to cause any more harm but yeah. actually in recovery if i'm going anywhere and it's a bit dicey the first thing i need is an exit strategy i'm glad that you'd be in the mind frame to be able to do that if you was in your active using drinking days but i never used to want to go to any any event really but if i had to like i did have to go to certain funerals to go to my my nan's funeral i had to go to my, my dad's funeral and on both occasions i made sure that i had vodka in my bag which i carried around oh, it oh we've talked about this before the crucial nature of packing your bag with enough booze so i remember leaving the church my nan's funeral vomiting up the you know, like you go in the entrance of the church and we've got the big archways and stuff and the big pillars and stuff. And I just remember throwing up and I just couldn't hold it in. And I was like, oh, it's all right. I've got hay fever. I'm just sneezing and I don't want to stop to go over there. But I wasn't. I was vomiting. Not good. Not nice. But yeah, it's what you do, don't you? It's, you know, unfortunately, it's the nature of the beast and it's, it's, a, it's a hell of a beast. My first thought in recovery would be to just not go to protect myself and others mm, but yeah there's repercussions from that there's a resentment from people and you know not knowing whether you should have gone and there's a lot of like causing damage to yourself and others by trying to protect others by doing that i suppose i i have this dilemma will come up for me like pretty soonish my mom's pretty ill and um, sisters don't really talk to me anymore. Mm-hmm. This comes across in my mind quite a lot, whether what's going to happen and what to do for the best, really, just for everyone and myself. You can always turn up to a, few, a funeral, I suppose, and camouflage yourself in the background. It's very unique to everyone's circumstances, isn't it, at the time? It's from this end of the... On this side of the street, you know, you're getting yourself clean and sober, you're changing your life around and stuff like that, but it doesn't always, it's not that easy, is it, depending on what's happened in the past, as to whether people are going to be so forgiving so quickly and, and stuff like that. But I'll just go to the funeral and I'll cause a ruckus on purpose. No, I wouldn't. I haven't spoken to my dad for 10 years, and uh, since coming to recovery, I've just started to have a relationship with him again and someone died on my dad's side of the family about a month ago and I just thought the right thing to do was to say to him do you want me to come with you like because I've not been there for the past 10 years I just thought yeah I just thought it was the right thing to say and um, I didn't have to go but I feel like at least I made the effort you know I haven't been there for 10 years so but I think it's from what you've done you know at least you're present now aren't you so you're in a position where you can be there for somebody if they need you and you know whether everyone take that up or not it doesn't matter as long as you're available and no doubt back in the day you know it would have been a not even worth ringing type thing but that's how far you've come now to be able to say to your dad who you start to build a relationship with that i can be there for if you want me to and that, that's just massive in itself. Yeah, because before my nan died 
I never went to a funeral then. He hates me for it. But there was other reasons as well why I never went. My mum told me not to go because I used to be a Jehovah's Witness and that. And she was like, you're not allowed to go to, not allowed to go to funerals. And so I was torn between trying to please my mum and also obviously taking drugs at the same time. But I really wanted to be there for him because of my mum. But it was just difficult, isn't it? I mean, you've got two, what's the saying? Two-pronged fork. <laughs> you've got one, you know, a religious belief on one end. You've got the drugs and the... You know, that's, that's a double whammy. Yeah. With all of it, I think that getting into recovery is what gives us a choice and a reasonable choice to make, whereas we're not going to make it when we're in active addiction, are we? And we're not really capable of the best choices when we're off our heads. But yeah. at least we have some degree of choice when we're back. But often when we're in recovery we are dealing with the consequences of what we did it's like funerals and we're meeting people we don't see very often who might have a huge pile of resentments against us from when we were doing what we did family occasions are always the most fraught aren't they yeah weddings funerals always the way isn't it especially for those of us in recovery yeah like i won't make that mistake again now like trying to please my mom and do what my mum wants me to do. Like, I'm in recovery for me. Definitely. Yeah. Do it for yourself. Ultimately, you're doing it for us anyway, automatically, because, like you just said, you know, you're able to be there for your dad if he wants, wants you there. That's what's nice about recovery. We have to do it for ourselves before we do yeah. it for anyone else, because you just can't do it for anyone else. I mean, I ain't putting the bottle down for man nor beast, family, whatever. I couldn't do it before. You know, my mum pleaded with me. My brother pleaded and I was fortunate to be able to hide the extent of my using and drinking quite well. I've moved places where, you know, people didn't know me there and I'd make friends there and I'd use with them and they didn't know my family and quite manipulative really when I think that quite cunning or whatever you want to call it, the way I did it, but there wasn't totally aware, but it didn't even if there was, you know, when they did find out some of the stuff that was going on even then it weren't happening couldn't stop me but that's the magic isn't it when the psychic change is when you want to do it for yourself you know you, that's massive it's a big change you want a better life ultimately you having a better life will give others a better life around you and you do want to be there for people it's not to say you, you're being selfish but how can you help others if you're you know help yourself do you know what i mean you're fucked at the end of the day, you, see, you can't win. What's it say in the book? I quote from all the books that I do, man. Try every fellowship. But in the book, it says, frothy appeal. Seldom suffices, which is your family and your, your loved ones begging you. It ain't going to amount to anything. No, it, and it's the, those emotional things are, are meaningless when we're right in the thick of it, aren't they? And ultimately, that's why I have to do it for me. I'm not doing it for anyone else. But like you say, if I do it for me, there will be an impact on everyone else anyway. Yeah. The mere fact that I'm doing it changes my relationships. Mm. We have hit the time limit. That we usually <laughs> exhausted an hour. We've exhausted an hour, which is fantastic. And to have done it in this remote way is even more fantastic. Yeah. I hope yeah. that we'll be back to normal service next week. Yeah. The buses will be back come next Tuesday. But if they're not, we'll just do this again. Oh, they won't be back. This is going to go on for a long time. 
you know what? Everyone's just following suit. And if you think if they that HS2 malarkey, how much does that cost? HS2 is not going to go up to Manchester and Leeds. Of course it isn't. It's going to stop at Birmingham. Absolute joke. And it's not going to be finished. Um, but anyway, that's another thing we can attack. We'll attack. <laughs> we will attack. <laughs> the grump get clean and right. attack the world with the wrongdoings. Right, we'll assault the world next week then, Ronnie. If what we've been talking about somewhat randomly has resonated with you in any way, do seek help. There's plenty out there. It's not all necessarily things that you have to pay for. There's all sorts of things off the internet, assuming you have the internet. If you haven't got the internet, get a phone. <laughs> there are numbers you can there are places you can go. Uh, don't suffer in silence. So with that, we will be back next week. And it's good night from me. And thank you, Ronnie. Thank you, Aaron. Thank you, Becky. Oh, thank you. Bye. See you later.